0: Bible to Proverbs chapter 3. So glad you've been on this journey with us in the last few weeks. I hope you've been able to catch uh, some of, if not all of, the uh, Overcomer series. This has been a special series for us and I thought this morning we might want to just review for a minute kind of what we've covered the last three weeks to bring you up to speed on today. The first week we talked about distractions, discouragement, and depression and we basically said it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. And then, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those that love God and are called according to His purpose. And we said, if, it's, if it isn't good, God isn't done yet. Then last week, we talked about fear. How many of you were here for the for the fear message? We talked about fear uh, and the fears that we face, and we basically said fear is a thief, fear is a false prophet, uh, and fear fear is a bully. And we said that... Faith and fear cannot coexist. Uh, Any given moment, you will be dominated or motivated by fear or you'll be motivated by faith in in the decisions and the actions and the reactions that you make. And we we said from Scripture, we can see there there are many, many, but at least three we highlighted last week, ways to deal with fear. God's presence, God's love, and God's gift. And so that brings us to today today. Uh, what we want to talk about, if you, if you miss some of those, I really would encourage you, uh, a lot of people have shared those links on Facebook, but you can go to our uh, podcast and catch up. Uh, two more weeks, today and next Sunday, we're going to wrap this series up. Today we're going to talk about something that we've all experienced, uh, and we're going to talk about how we get there and what the real issue is. And so I want to just highlight one simple little word. It's this word, overwhelmed. How many of you ever felt overwhelmed? Everybody, you felt somewhere overwhelmed. I, I was thinking this week, in uh, as I was preparing for today, a time in my life that I remember being overwhelmed, and kind of what that felt like, what that feels like, and what it does to you, and how you try to how you try to work your way through that. Uh, when when we were having our first child, Stacy and I were having our oldest son is about to graduate high school, so it was a, a few weeks ago. We had our oldest our child, and uh, we were having him. And so I grew up in an environment that wasn't very supportive of women. And so what I, what I said is, look, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I want to be a good husband. I want to do everything I'm supposed to do, and I can't end up like that. So uh, I, I want to I be the best person I can be. And so when she got pregnant, to me it was a crisis, I thought she's pregnant. She, you know, she if she if she walks wrong, she could die. I mean, I went overreaction, overprotection mode. You know, she's pregnant. Anything could go wrong. She could blow up. I don't know what's going to happen. And so I, I just I just uh, said, you you've got to rest. You can't do anything. You've got to stop and so I started to cook and I did the dishes and I did the laundry and I so you got to get off your feet and she had Charlie horses in her legs and but her pregnancy was really a, a good pregnancy but then near the end we find out as we go to the hospital to have the child that the child is breech and from the time we find out the child is breech till the child is out with, here with us is like less than an hour she it was super accelerated quickly. They had to do kind of an emergency C-section. They wheel us in at midnight into the room. They're calling all the doctors who are on call. They get them all in there. Get the child out. Child's fine. She said, and, then, and then somewhere I read that having a C-section is major surgery. I said, major surgery? She could die. I mean, she's major surgery. She can't do anything. And so I did, I did it for, for several months. The baby wouldn't sleep. How many of your babies wouldn't sleep? Yes. They owe you. They owe you Big. Come on, somebody. They owe you. Child would not sleep. Went in the other room and said, my wife's had major surgery. She's going to die. i got to bring the baby in another room. And so I would get up and we would trade bottle fees. And she would say, I want to help. No, you can't help. You could die. Can't help? Risk your life like that? Overprotection mode. And so finally after about six or seven months, counting the time of the pregnancy, all the about six or seven months, I remember laying there on the bed one day just looking up at the ceiling and we were talking and, and I said, I feel like I'm dying. And she said, what do you, what do you mean, how do you feel? I said, I'm, I don't know, I, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I have no joy, I feel numb, I feel empty, I feel distant, I feel, I feel frightened, I feel burnt out. And she goes, do you think maybe it has something to do with the way you've been doing everything by yourself? No. What would that have to do with it? And then I started listing all the things I was doing. I mean, I mean, getting up and fixing the formula for the baby, and the, that's not that big a deal. And the baby won't sleep, so we had to put him in a swing. And back in those days, we couldn't afford electric swings, so you had to crank it every 20 minutes. <laughs> and just as soon, you'd hear it start to wind down. Clank, clank, clank. What? No, not a crank. That's not that big a deal. And changing diapers, that's not that big a deal. And cooking's not that big a deal. And doing the dishes isn't that big a deal. And doing the laundry's not that big a deal. And working all day isn't that big a deal. And taking care of this stuff isn't that big a deal by itself. But when you add it all together, it's a lot. Layer stacks upon layer stacks upon layer stacks upon layer, and any one single thing by itself is not a big deal. But when you layer it all together, it's a lot, and we become overwhelmed. And when those events happen, we say, How do we deal with this in a Christ like way? I look, I'm trying on a daily basis to follow Jesus, that's what we want for your life. We don't want you to be church attenders. We want you to follow Jesus on a daily basis. That's what I'm trying to do. How do we become fully devoted followers of Jesus? We have to learn to take each one of those issues which in and of itself may not be that big of a deal. But when you stack them up, it becomes overwhelming. And we have to learn to take those individually and set them at the feet of Jesus. We have to learn to take those. So Proverbs chapter 3. Now most of the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon who uh, was a king in Israel for 40 years. The Bible says he was the wisest man that ever lived. And so I love the book of uh, uh, Proverbs because of who wrote it and how it's written. It's written by Solomon who wrote most of it to his son. So you have not only wisdom from the wisest man who ever lived you have intimate wisdom. You have wisdom between a a private wisdom between a father and a son. This is a book of legacy from a dad to his son saying these are the things that I have found to be true and it's a phenomenal book. If you're looking for a book to study Maybe, maybe you're looking to start reading the Bible. Proverbs is a great book. I've done this before, 31 chapters. You can read a chapter a day, and you have a chapter for, for every day of the month. Even the, the short months, you can double up or something. But uh, I, I have gone through a season where I've read it all year. Just repeat it every month. It's so rich. There's so much wisdom there you can do that. Now, if you're from a church background, you're probably going to recognize these verses from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, that's an important word, all, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, let's look at that word, all. Not part of your heart, not part of your life, it's very um, common in, in the way we do life in our present culture to compartmentalize things to separate things and organize things and categorize things and to wrongly believe that this has nothing to do with this. That what I do on Sunday has nothing to do with what I do on Monday. What I do at home has nothing to do with what I do at work. What I do at work has nothing to do with what I do at home. These things are completely disconnected. But what what uh, Proverbs, Solomon is saying to his son, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, not part of your heart. So we have to learn to take every area of our life individually and put it at the feet of Jesus and trust him with it. And listen, if we're honest this morning, that is not easy. Anybody that tells you it's easy to trust God hadn't gone through much or hadn't tried It's hard to take a rebellious teenager and set that issue at the feet of Jesus. It's hard to take a broken childhood and set that at the feet of Jesus or or a career that seems to be going nowhere or a bad health report or, or an addiction you just can't seem to break. To set that at the feet of Jesus and trust him to work it out. It's complicated. It's hard. It's hard on us. And so this verse has another important word lean. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and then lean. Not on your own understanding. Now, if we're honest this morning, when we get in a tough spot, most of us just go with what feels right. Life is moving so fast at such a pace, at such a speed. We make so many decisions every day. We tend to go with what feels right. So, you hear this stellar advice that's very popular in our culture today go with what you feel. Be true to yourself. Maybe you've heard it like this follow your heart. Those lines make incredible movies, but they're some of the stupidest lines of advice you can ever give anybody. Follow your heart? Are you kidding me? The Bible says the heart, above all things, is most deceitful. Now wait for wait 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 for a minute. Above everything, you mean to tell me my heart has a greater ability? To deceive me than Satan does? yeah. So why would we tell people to follow the most deceptive force on earth? And when you do that, you come up with some of the conclusions that we come up with today. We can't base our decisions on how we feel, because let's be honest, how we feel today is probably not going to be how we feel tomorrow. How many of you how many of you over 40? Come on, confession, over 40. Yes. How many of you made decisions when you were a teenager that you thought were awesome? And now that you look back, you go, not awesome. I remember I was a teenager, I, I had a little kid at a preschool. I was washing a van, he spit on me. So I thought, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to teach that kid to never spit on anybody again as long as he lives. And I took the power hose and I pinned it to his forehead through the fence. And I drilled him back like a fire hose to the back wall. Bam. She electrocuted him with water. And I thought, that's awesome. Kid will never spit on anybody again. He was soaked to his underwear. And it was awesome until the director of the daycare, who happened to be my pastor's wife, told him. And then he circled back and they had to call the parents and they had to come change the clothes and all of this stuff. And it was so awesome right until the minute it was not awesome anymore. Because I followed my heart. Lean not on your own understanding, our understanding is limited and incomplete and jaded, but God is holy and all-knowing, and He is good, and He wants good things for you, so you can lean on Him. You can trust Him. Now maybe you say, I've tried that and some bad things happen. I'm not ready for that. That's fine. That's fine, you might not be ready for that, you may have gone through, through some things that are confusing that you don't understand, that's fine, but if you're not going to trust God, what are you going to trust? Because you are going to trust something. You're going to trust the government? Like almost universally, Republicans and Democrats agree on one thing, the government's broke. <laughs> I, th- I don't see anybody disagreeing with that. You're going to agree with science? Is that what you're going to trust in, science? I mean, I mean, uh, the world's freezing, the world's overheating. We don't know what the world's doing. Science has come up with some conclusions that are very mixed, even among the scientific community. Culture, you're going to trust in pop culture? What are you going to anchor your soul to? I've decided that I'm going to trust Jesus, and here's why I made that decision. He's the only person that ever lived that predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. There's an empty tomb, his body can't be found, it's never been found, and nobody's ever been able to explain it. So a guy that can come back from the dead and say he's going to do it before he dies, I'm going to put my trust in him. What will you put your trust in? One other interesting phrase, all your ways. You see the theme there? All trust in God, all your heart, all your ways acknowledge him. This is saying, look, God, I don't understand everything that's happened in my life, uh, but I'm trusting you with this situation. And then there's a promise, and he will make your path straight. He might not make it right immediately, but he will make it right eventually. So the reason we have to get this right is because it's difficult to trust God, and the reason we're talking about this is because in order for you to be an overcomer, you have to trust God. I don't know anybody that's an overcomer that doesn't trust God. Every overcomer has one thing in common. You face a a time in your life where there's a gap. There's a gap in your understanding. There's a gap in what you thought was going to happen. There's a gap in the circumstances. You can't explain it. You can't fix it. You don't know what to do. You're just stuck in it. And rather than falling back on yourself, an overcomer steps into that vacuum where the bridge is out and says, I'm going to lean on God. Because I don't understand. And nobody can explain it to me. But I'm going to lean in on him and I'm going to trust him. Now, here's the important phrase I want you to catch today. If I do not trust him with all, I will eventually not trust him at all. Now, here's what I want you to see this morning. Trust is not static. It is dynamic. It will change. If you play the, I'm going to trust God with this, but not this game. What, what do you think is going to win? Eventually, over time, your trust in God will diminish. A little bit of yeast works through the whole dough. You will eventually uh, become cynical, critical, doubting, frustrated. Either, either, either you ultimately are going to grow in your trust for God, or you're going to shrink in it, but you cannot stay at the place that you are today. It will affect every other area of your life. So, this morning, what I want to quickly do as we, as we wrap up today is. I want to give you uh, three areas. That I think we have the most uh, difficulty trusting God in. Alright so if I'm going to be an overcomer. I have to learn to trust God. But to really feel the struggle of trusting God. I have to trust Him in the harder, in the harder areas. So here they are. Uh, here's the three areas that I see. The first one is relationally. It's hard to trust God with your relationships. Um. Because relationships are complicated. I mean, I want you to think about what we face today. We got married people who want to be single. We got single people who want to be married. Let that soak in for a minute. And relationships are difficult, and relationships are where we are most likely to be confronted with the condition of our own soul and our own faith. Because it is when somebody has gotten close enough into our life. And rubbed us the wrong way that we are able, in the heat of that friction, to see ourselves as we are. As imperfect as other people are around us. God uses those moments sometimes. I, I can remember when Stacy and I were had been married about two or three, two or three, four years, something like that. Maybe three, two or three years. Uh, the honeymoon was over, and and I and it dawned on me, oh, we gotta like live together. Like we gotta work this out. Like, I didn't know that's what marriage was. <laughs> I had these other ideas about marriage. So, like, we've got we've to have a relationship. We've got to relate. We've got to talk things out. we got to resolve. I didn't know how much a part of marriage resolving conflicts were. Anybody brave enough to join me? I didn't know, like, that was, I, I, I didn't know. I thought if you really loved each other, you wouldn't have as many. I didn't know you're laughing suspiciously you didn't know either and so we're in this point of marriage and I don't even remember what the issue was but I can remember man that it that all I remember is she was wrong that's all I remember all I remember is taking on the spirit of Adam God it's this woman that you gave me I was fine I was doing just dandy until you gave me her what have you done to me God? And I I can remember wanting to be spiritual and wanting to be Christian and wanting to follow Jesus and wanting to do everything right but not being able to resolve this conversation. This this has got to change. She's got to change. Something's got to change. This is wrong and it's got to change. I remember just going to prayer. Oh God, change her. Heal her and fix her. Jesus thing. Put some symbols on it. (laughs) Do something's got to give. And I can remember, I can remember to this day, God saying to me, okay, fabulous, I've been wanting to talk to you about this. And I'm glad that you came. Something like that. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, because at that time our schedules were a little different, and I would get up and leave the house j- just before she would get, wake up. And I remember God saying to me, I want you to go in before you leave every morning, and I want you to just lay your hands gently on her shoulders, and I just want you to pray for her. And, and, and I want you to pray that I will bless her and that I will uh, make her the woman that I want her to be. And I thought, yes, finally, a strategy that will change her. Thank God. We're going to get this fixed. Jesus has given me prayer. This is a powerful weapon of warfare in Jesus' name. And so I'd creep in there. Oh, God. Put some tongues on it. Yes, this is going to work. I've been looking for something that would work, and this is going to do it. This is the thing. It's magic. I put that on there. I would pray, God bless her. Help her. Make her the woman you want her to be. And I'd creep out. (laughs) Just wait. Set off a prayer bomb in the room. She won't even know what hit her when she wakes up. She'll wake up and be Proverbs woman. Bam. Sneak in there, creep in there and pray over her. And, and something happened, and as I look back, I think God set me up. I began to realize that the issue wasn't her, it was me. And as I prayed, my heart started to change. And I started to love her differently. And I started to want the best for her in a different way. And I started to appreciate her differently. And my whole, it, it, was, it was a profound season of change in my life. And Philippians uh, 2 gives us incredible relationship advice. Now, maybe you say, uh, look, we're inundated with relationship advice. Go to the grocery store, and you'll see on the magazine cover. I know you've been re- taking the Facebook personality test to see if you're compatible, and you've been doing the top ten ways to get your spouse to do everything they want you to do. Right? You want them to do right. Well, let me give you some. Let me give you some relationship advice from Scripture. Philippians two three. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you. To the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Can I just tell you something today? Your marriage and your relationships will dramatically improve when you stop pointing out to your spouse their inconsistencies and their weaknesses and you start repenting of your own. Didn't hear much on that one. When you start living in a way to try to make your spouse happy instead of trying to get them to make you happy, your relationships will change. But, but, here's why we don't do that. Because you have to trust God. Why does that take trust in God? Because you have to trust that His way is the best way and not what you're reading on Facebook or seeing on the TV show or watching in the movie. What you're having to do is say, God, you don't know how strong this magnetic pull from our culture is and all the ways I ought to handle this. You're resisting that that magnetic pull and you're stepping into that vacuum and you're leaning in. You're saying, God, this makes no sense. It's not what my heart's telling me, but I'm going to trust you. And here's why that's hard. Every married person in the room will tell you there have been times that they've done the right thing and it didn't work. What do I, what I mean by it didn't work? <laughs> I mean your spouse didn't respond the way they're supposed to. They did the wrong thing again. They offended you again. They wounded you again. Like you, you, you changed and they didn't change. Look, doing the right thing isn't a new way to control somebody else, and it's not a way to change somebody else. Doing the right thing is a way, treating a person the right way is the way to trust God. And it actually isn't anything else. (laughs) There is nothing else. That's all that it is. Because you're standing out there on the edge of the diving board going, "Ah, the wind's blowing in your face, the storm's moving, and you're going, I hope this works. Because I don't know how much longer I can hold on. So, it takes trust. It takes a lot of trust. If you're going to be an overcomer, you have to continue to move into an, an arena where you can trust God with your relationships, that doesn't just go for marriage. It goes for dating. It goes for friendships. It goes for a lot of things. You have to trust. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lean on my own understanding. I'm gonna lean on God's ways, and I'm gonna trust He's gonna work it out if I go His way. Uh, here's the second one. Financially, relationally. Second one's financially. How, how many of you uh, have ever made a dumb financial decision? Anybody? Six of you. You're ID counseling. You're incredible. You've ever made a dumb financial decision? Come on. Yes. You, you ever order something? You go, why did I order this? I don't even want all this. I want to eat this? Ah. Then you take it home and you just stare at it on the kitchen counter for about a week. Ah. Why, why did I do that? Every one of us have made bad financial decisions at some point in our life. And most of our dumb financial decisions have come as a result of not trusting God. God, I promise you, if you haven't already experienced it, you will have a time in your life where you experience this. You're going to have a hard time trusting God with your finances. Everybody is tested there. Everybody's tested there. Solomon actually addresses that uh, a little bit later in the same chapter we already read, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. With the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be lifted, will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now you may say, Look, I'm out. You don't know my situation. I don't have any wealth. Look, wealth's not what you wish you had. Wealth is what God has entrusted to you. But but you 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 probably most likely are wealthy. I'll prove it to you. How many of you have ever gone to Starbucks and bought a drink worth more than $2? Come on, no, no, hold them up. No, no, come on. It's not a sin. Come on. I have, and I don't even like coffee. Remember that? More than $2. Now, let me tell you why that matters. 60% of the world lives on $2 a day or less. So if you've ever thrown $2 away on a snack, on a global standard, you're wealthy. How many of you have ever gone shopping for an extra pair of shoes, even though you already had more shoes than you needed? I'll get the guys in a minute. How many of you ever went and bought sporting equipment that you didn't need, but you thought it'd make your game better? Yeah? Right. Okay. So, so, so you're wealthy. How many of you have ever thrown out food because it was spoiled? See, poor people don't do that. In, in, in poor places in the world, the, the phrase, leftover, doesn't exist because there aren't any ever. So if you ever had leftovers on a global standard, you're very wealthy this morning. So the point I'm trying to make today is not to make you feel bad for having stuff. The point I'm trying to make is this scripture's written to us. So so he says, "The first fruits of all your crops." Now let me just quickly tell you what first fruits means. It doesn't mean anything to us because we're not farmers. But here's the way the Hebrew who read the verse that the wisest man who ever wrote would have written in the Bible, here's the way that a Hebrew would have understood this verse. He would have understood it to mean this. Bring the first 10% of all you have into the house of God. Bring the first 10% of all that you have into the house of God. That's what first fruit means. Now, we call it in uh, in the church, we call it tithing. So, if you don't trust God with your money, here's what I just want to say to you this morning. You will get stuck spiritually. And at the end of the day, it's a heart issue. It's not a money issue. Either he's first or he's not. Either I trust him or I don't. Now, look, I know uh, in our day and age, a lot of churches, probably the majority, I don't know, I hadn't read any studies or hadn't done any, but my guess is the majority of churches don't talk about tithing because talking about money makes people uncomfortable and it can be misunderstood. Now, at Kingwood, we do talk about money. Now, I think probably in the last 12 months, I've either taught on or mentioned uh, tithing maybe four or five times. But we're here, we're not going to use guilt, we're not going to use fear, we're not going to use manipulation, but we are going to teach what God says about giving and about money because it is a spiritual issue. It does affect your relationship with God. It does affect how much you trust Him. And ultimately, you and I are accountable to God for what we do with what He gave us. And so we have to talk about that. I read a year or two ago a pastor said, We don't talk about giving in our church, we just lead by example. I was wondering about all the other parts of Christianity that we could apply that to. We don't talk about prayer, we just lead by example. We don't talk about evangelism, we just lead by example. We don't talk about reading the Bible. We, why, why, how do we get to randomly pick which areas we're gonna do that with? How, how, do, how do we get to be that selective? See, we're in a season of spiritual renewal in our church and we've said you know you're in renewal when people you never thought would get saved start getting saved. Last week's water baptism was incredible and we've got some more coming next month that are going to blow your mind. We're in a season of renewal. When people start getting saved that you didn't think would, you know you're in renewal. You know you're in renewal when your relationship with Jesus becomes more important to you than it was before. Let me tell you another way you know you're in renewal. You're in renewal when giving goes up. Why? Because people are putting Jesus first. And they're saying, I'm going all in. Look, we're not a prosperity church. We don't believe God's going to make everybody rich. But we do believe what Proverbs teaches here. When you give, God blesses you. Now, he defines the blessing. You don't get to define it, and I don't get to define it. You know what we call that? Trust. God, I trust you. (laughs) So I'm going to give. I know you're going to bless me. I know you're a good father. I know you're a good God. I know you have a good heart. I know you have a good plan. So I trust you. So we've been offering uh, for the last year and a half. We'd say, look, you want to take the tithing challenge? You want to start down that road? You want to trust God in this area? Because he calls all of us to. Why don't you start by giving 1% of your income, and the next month go to 2 and the next month go to 3%. we have done this. Maybe you've heard us. Heard it's just a, an easier way to start walking that road. You don't know how many people have come to me, emailed me, Put a message on Facebook and said, Hey, I, first month I did 1%, second I did 2, the third I did 3, the fourth I did 10. And you know why? Because I learned something about God that I did not know. He's more trustworthy than I thought. Wow. I had a couple of few weeks ago came to me unsolicited. I didn't ask, How's this going in your life? Nothing. They came to me and said, we wanted to make a point to come and say thank you, for what? Thank you for the for the tithing challenge. Thank you for what you teach. Thank you for what the church means to us. I want you to know we took the tithing challenge. We started tithe. They're one of the couples that started and, and then went to ten real fast. And they said, "I want to tell you something. We we were not. This is what they told me. We were not able to pay our bills. And so the reason he, he's what he said to me." I didn't tithe, but I've heard about tithing all my life, and I've never tithed. And I didn't tithe because I didn't think I could afford it. Now watch. He said to me, but you know what I found out? I started tithing, and my wife got a raise. And for several months now, our bills are paid. And for the first time in our life together, we have money left over after our bills are paid. Well, what do you think that means? It, it means you can trust God. And here's what he said. He said, now I want you to know this. I thought I couldn't afford it. Looking back, I realized now what the real issue was. I just didn't trust God. I just didn't trust Him. And so I said, hey, something, the Holy Spirit spoke to Martin. And I said, I, I want you to do something. Right now, you are in a glorious phase of life. Like God is moving in your life this is a good season, you have more than you need, and things are good, but I I just want you, if I can say this, the next time you hit a challenge and you don't know what to do, will you remember this moment? The moment that you found that God was trustworthy, whether it's a health problem or a relationship problem or whatever, circumstances, would you just look back on this moment, would you just remember it? Would you just remember that we had this conversation that the God that you could trust with your money is the God you can trust with everything else and he's good and he has a good plan for your life? And you know what they said? Incredible. They said, when we first got married, we, we didn't have enough money to take a honeymoon. Uh, so we've been in we've this jar and when we get change or a couple dollars we put in it and we've been saving in this jar. And they said, several months ago when we were sitting in service, something happened in that service. And he said, My heart was so moved, I went uh, to the car right in the parking lot and I told my wife, Hey, um, I got I to tell you something. I think God spoke to me and said something, I got to tell you. And she said, I got something to tell you. Look, why'd I? What? What? He said, You know how we've been saving for our honeymoon? She said, Yeah. He said, I felt like today God put on my heart that instead of taking that money we've been saving for our honeymoon and going away, that we need to go on the next trip to Honduras with Kingwood. And she said, that's what I wanted to tell you I felt the same thing you see what happens when you start to trust God your spiritual life explodes things start to move in other places that you didn't see, now here's the last one relationally, financially spiritually, sometimes we have a hard time trusting God spiritually we have a hard time trusting God with our own spiritual life, with the with our own Maybe you struggle with the deeper meaning, the higher reality, the spiritual. On Easter Sunday, we had nine people that checked the box and said, I'm not ready to be a Christian, but would you pray for me? Because I know I need prayer. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. We we had a few dozen people who said, I want to pray to follow Christ. From time to time, we have people who visit our services who are, are atheists, who are agnostics, people who are checking it out, people who are looking, conversations that I either have with people or hear. And I'm just saying to you this morning, it, you might not think, but look, relationships and finances, I get it. But spiritually? Yes. Spiritually, every one of us feels a challenge on whether we're going to trust God for truth. We struggle is what you say true is the Bible true is what the church doing right is this what we're supposed to be doing is this what we're supposed to be part of and and Romans or I'm sorry Ephesians 2 8 9 says this for it's by grace you've been saved through faith and this is not from yourselves it's the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast here's the deal at the end of the day We have to come to the cliff on these issues and say, God, I'm putting my trust in you. Because there there might not be an explanation, there might not be an answer, and you might not understand. So somewhere in life, you're going to have to take a leap in these areas. Who are you going to trust? And to be an overcomer, we have to trust Him. Now, let me me go back to where we started, and then we're going to pray. If I do not trust Him with all, I will eventually not trust Him at all. Would you stand with me this morning? If I do not trust Him with all, I will eventually not trust Him at all. Would you just close your eyes for a minute? And I just want to guide you through, through a couple of thoughts, and, and then we'll invite you to pray. Prayer team, would you come this morning? You're here this morning. I just want you to, I just want you to identify. What is the area that you have the greatest difficulty trusting God with? What is it? What is that area? What is that spot? Maybe it's nothing I even talked about. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's truth. Maybe it's maybe it is relationships or finance or or something else. Maybe it's the pain of your childhood. Why did this happen to me? Maybe you have trouble trusting God because you got to you got to let God go. You've been blaming God for some of the things that happened to you in your life. And, and you have to say, you know what? That, that trust, that, that negative experience wounded my trust. Trust is a big deal. And this morning you say, I, I've got I've to I've let go. Here's what I know. Every one of us battle trust issues. Every one of us. And this morning, if God spoke to you, and he, this is what I've been praying for you, if He put His hand on an area in your life that you say, I've been struggling to trust God in that area, if, if He's clarified that to you, if He's spoken to you, if God spoke to you today and said, this is the area right now, and I want to help you. Would you just lift your hand and say, God's been talking to me about a, an area of trust, and I want, I want you to pray for me today. Would you just lift your hand and say, there's something I need to surrender. There's something I need to let go of. you just lift your hand this morning? Say, that's me. Man, that's me. God's touching my heart. God's speaking to me. God's talking to me. There's an area I need to surrender. There's an area I need to let go. I need to take this one issue and set it at the feet of Jesus this morning. I need to take this burden and lay it at the feet of Jesus. I need to take this thing, this challenge, this This thing that I'm facing, and I need to lay it at Jesus' feet this morning. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ that's in this room. I thank you for the help and the strength and the healing and the peace. So this morning, as we go to prayer, right now, if you have an area that God has spoken to your heart, I just want you to come and let someone on the prayer team pray with you. Say, today, by faith, I'm laying this area down. Today, by faith, God, I trust you. God, today, I trust you. Some of you just need to step across that line. Maybe it's something you've been battling to overcome, and the enemy said, you'll never overcome it. But I want you to come right now, right now, right now. I want you to step out right now. Lord, I trust you. It's a step of trust. Maybe this is even deeper than faith. It's one thing to believe God's real. It's another thing to trust Him to overcome. Lord, I lay this down at your feet this morning. I lay it down at your feet. God, I trust you. I trust you. You just come for prayer right now. As the worship team begins to sing, I want you to come for prayer right now. Lord, I trust you. God, I trust you. I take a step of trust today. Step of trust. maybe you're a couple maybe you're a person who says we need God's help in this relationship we need God's help we're going to trust today when everybody leaves I want you to come our prayer team's is going to wait for you God bless you